0: Hello, and welcome to In Discovery We Trust, a Star Trek Discovery podcast, where this week we will be discussing the episode C.V. Possum Parabellum. My name is Ethan, and I'm joined on this away mission by... Kevin. So, Kevin, what did you think of this episode?
1: I really, really liked it. Um, I felt like I was in the midst of watching a sort of classic um, Star Trek episode. Um, You know... We were talking before the show, you know, very similar to the original series episode, "The Side of Paradise.
0: True. Got some
1: similarities. Mm-hmm. Also, just seeing an away team. Seeing an away team. This is the first time they've actually left the ship to kind of to kind of go to an unknown uh, alien planet.
0: Yes, and I, I and forgot how much that's in my expectation of Trek, our away team. Missions. Right,
1: and I, what I really like about it, about, you know, them doing this, is that it's not, this is kind of in my opinion, shows how kind of the the attention to detail the show has. If this were the other show, it'd be like, oh, we're just in some forest, you know, in Southern California. But, like, they made an effort to make this look like you were actually on an alien planet. Like, yes, it was a forest, but it was like, you know, blue trees and blue grass and sort of like it, you know, it didn't look like, it didn't look like Earth, basically. Right. It didn't look like it was just some location change. And (laughs) I consider it
0: very well done. I mean, some of it may have been location where they just color changed the leaves to blue, which is simple and great. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I like the vistas of the planet and Mm -hmm. the crystalline structure and whatnot. So uh, let's dig into the happenings of this episode. So before we get to the away team, um, also what we saw was some great ship to ship combat.
1: We did finally.
0: We started off with the uh, some we saw discovery. Coming to the rescue of another Federation ship, uh, the Debaran. The Debaran. Under attack from many uh, Klingon mm-hmm. ships. Right. Now, this was interesting. We got to see, as we were talking about last week, we haven't seen much of Discovery actually engaging with Klingons. No. Now, I thought this was very interesting. Um, we see Lorca commanding in a battle and i found that he was really really selfless in this battle mm-hmm. i mean he was so focused on protecting the Devaran um that he was putting his own ship in between the klingons and the yes. Devaran. he let his shields go down to i think 10 percent before mm-hmm. he finally and he only finally gave up when the Devaran was destroyed right um that was really surprising to me to see Lorca act in, in that way
1: yeah, and we haven't seen, again, the only time we've seen Discovery actually engage the Klingons was, again, that episode where they were supposed to rescue everybody on the planet, and they didn't do it. Yes. The one that, you know, I think is pretty funny. <clears throat> right. Um, but it was cool. Like, what I'm... And here's what I'm noticing about the Discovery. And just, well, just ship, ships in general. Have you noticed so far that when they've shown battles, they're, they're, they seem to be shooting, like, phaser pulses. I'm not seeing like, photon torpedoes or, like, actual, like, you know... Orange pulsating phasers being shot. It's almost like they're shooting. Like I'm like, what kind of weapons do these ships have? He did mention I torpedoes know. at the end. He did. Oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah, he said, uh, "Do we get the torpedoes away?" Hmm.
0: Um, but it's, it's like, shoot. where's my
1: phaser? You know, Shh. I love that. Yes.
0: Is he saying firing fire phasers when he's on the bridge? I think he just
1: says fire. I believe.
0: Right. Yeah. Interesting. Um, <clears throat> speaking of the firing, mm. we got to see the character who now I know her name, Detmer. Implant Lady, as I have been calling her, I want to see more of her. We got to see some more, but still, it was strictly in a in a battle situation on the on the bridge. Yeah, the Um, one from
1: yeah, she was from the uh, USS Shenzo. Yes, yes.
0: Um, Who we did not see on the bridge was um, Burnham during this battle.
1: Right, Um, she was on the planet. Right,
0: no, not yet. Oh, not yet. I'm sorry. Did we see Saru on the bridge?
1: Uh, I don't believe. I don't don't believe so. And I don't think we saw
0: Tyler on the bridge either. No,
1: no, we haven't seen our resident Klingon.
0: Um, but mm-hmm. I really liked... I liked seeing um, Lorca in command during battle. I liked seeing the ships. I liked seeing him, his communication with the other captain. And yep. really, you know, he was looking out for the, the best interest of the other crew in this case.
1: Yeah, but I've never seen like another Federation captain like that just sort of come in between, you know, another, another Starfleet vessel and the enemy just like that before.
0: Right, and I'm sure yeah. part of his strategy was the fact that knowing... He could get his shields down to, I don't know, 1% knowing he could just right. black alert out right. of there.
1: But we got some pretty cool like beauty beauty passes of the uh, Discovery. Not as many as I would like, but you know I want to see more of the ship itself on the exterior side of things. Yeah,
0: I know what I found. My favorite um, shot of that was mm. when they did um, use the spore drive to get away after yeah. they had finally lost the Baron. Right. And... You just saw the sh- ship suddenly appear mm. in this distant part of space, totally alone. And it was interesting, though, going from the intensity of the battle and then to just we lost the ship and now we're just we're here and we're alone. Was,
1: so one was, thing I noticed about the De Baron uh, is I feel like well, I don't feel like I noticed that the front of the ship has a very striking resemblance to the uh, USS Franklin from Star Trek Beyond. Really? Yeah. Something about them is very, very similar. Um, so that was just a small kind of detail I noticed. It seems like they, I would almost believe they were from the same time, as it were. Makes but sense. we're probably not going to see the Franklin, but it's like there, there's a consistency there, despite the fact that this is not set within the J.J. Uh, Abrams universe, that's so they claim. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, so we get some more of this
0: transformation uh, of Stamets. Right. Because, of course, they have to use Stamets in order to uh, warp away. Right. And we have him coming to from his warp and addressing Captain Tilly. Yes. Um, So this led me to think a couple of things. Is he, since he now is partially a multidimensional being, is he maybe slipping into the future, into the past? into alternate realities? Is he slipping into a mirror universe? Is he slipping into the future where perhaps Tilly is a captain?
1: I don't know. I mean, we we discussed the theory a few episodes back about how we think Discovery itself, you know, may be unintentionally creating sort of like rips in space that is sort of, you know, creating, you know, crossovers between the Prime Universe and the mirror universe. though
0: mm-hmm. so this also um, leads to the idea that... St- of Stamets perhaps having something to do with the mirror universe because when he comes out of this particular episode he's back to grumpy nasty Stamets that right. we knew before. He's he's no longer giddy seemingly intoxicated well, Stamets.
1: Well, no, but I mean he did it's him and Tilly speaking and he's a little bit he's you know he's kind of a little on edge cuz no matter what he does he knows he's going to upset his partner Right. True. True. That's kind of how I looked at it. But, <coughs> so you think it was just um, the stress? I think maybe it's the stress. I think there may uh, be more to uh, it. I mean, maybe. But, yeah, I'm going with the stress thing for now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know, like, last week he was almost, like, high as a kite. Right. Which Basically. Was very funny. Which was very funny, you know. Cause, and I will say this. I do think that Anthony Rapp is, the be- is like, the next best thing on that show. I think he's one of the best on the show. And what's the first best? Oh, Sonico Martin Green, of course. Oh, okay. Burnham, yeah. But he is, yeah, he's his... I'm so enthralled by his performance, so... I gotta I'm, go, it's Detmer all the way from me, Implant ladies <laughs> carrying the show.
0: All right, anyway, so... All right, um, <clears throat> so this uh, leads us to our away mission. Yes. Now, one of my favorite things about the away mission, immediately, is... As always has to happen in Star Trek, mm. you've got the few sentences of exposition as yes. to why our technology can't just solve this problem mm-hmm. for us. Right. Because they know we would have been asking, why didn't they just beam them down right next to the thing that they're going to? Right. But they threw in a couple sentences. Uh, it's a shame the interference... Um, ...affects our transporters, so we had to beam 30 kilometers away. Yeah,
1: of course it does. The transporters transporters only work when the plot requires them to, basically. Right, and communicators don't work when the plot requires that they don't work. So they obviously, they have not mastered the LTE thing by the 23rd century, unfortunately.
0: No. No. So, on this mission, their job, they're trying to develop a sonar, so Mm -hmm. they can detect the... um, Which they they don't call them... um, what is the term that they use for the ships, the the Klingon ships, the cloaking device? Not, they're not calling them cloaking. Oh, device, the, um, invisibility the invisibility invisibility system, system or, something.
1: or something like that. Yes, right. Yes, because the Romulans, I think, are the ones who develop yeah. the cloaking device and eventually sell it to the Klingons later on down the line, but when, not right now. When he, really, I think so. I could unless you know anybody listening, correct me, but I believe that's where the Klingons get their cloaking devices from. Hmm. So this yes. is another retcon. Yes, because when the Romulans first use it. Kirk and crew are kind of like, "Oh, what's this?" You Strange. And should be really out, like it that right thing now. must that thing is going to use up a lot of power, but anyway, we're kind of digressing. But yes, that's where I think that that's where we are introduced to clo- to a cloaking device. Interesting, runs. because they've Yes. So maybe this is an early version of it, potentially.
0: But it certainly seems like cloaking and they certainly yeah. all seem to have it thanks yeah. to uh, the the uniting of the houses.
1: Well, they I mean they used it in the in the first episode.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So interesting
1: mm-hmm. they just can't fire while cloaked
0: right and that still is the case as mm-hmm. we learned during the battle yep they have to and he it seems as if lorca is realizing this for the first time right they have to decloak to fire mm-hmm. and, and he's ready to shoot once that yeah happens. exactly and
1: that's been a that's been sort of a trope throughout uh you know various series and movies too they have to decloak in order to fire
0: and it's sort of the only thing that makes them, uh, not... That keeps them from being invincible. It's the fact that they have to... Do, it reveals if, where they are, basically. Right. If they could
1: fire while they were cloaked, I think right. the Federation would have been wiped out. But, yeah. But also, don't forget, that was, that was, uh, the Klingon ship in Star Trek Six. It could fire while cloaked. That's right. But it was only a prototype. That's right. That's yes. Right. So there were, there were uh... Yeah,
0: well, I mean, we were talking about the Klingons and the cloaking device. Things are really heating up on the Klingon side. hmm We've got um, <sighs> Red Paint Klingon. Yes. Has united the houses. He's given them all. the um, Cloaking device or whatever they're calling it at that point. But then yeah. we have uh, Lorel, the female, who yep. was with Tukumva. Yep. And Admiral Who
1: And who? And the Admiral. Well, sorry. Well, I'm jumping ahead, but yes.
0: All right. So yes. she was with Tukumva in the Albino. Mm-hmm. She's the one who told the albino, I have a plan. We can avenge all of this. Yep. You and I. Which means, yep. So we haven't returned to that plot yet. Right. Until perhaps now. So she decides she wants to pledge loyalty. Um, Clearly it's a ruse, mm-hmm. as we know, because she hates this guy. She hates this leader.
1: Right. <laughs> I don't know. For a few seconds, I kind of believed her really yeah i thought maybe they would kind of you know trick me but i kind of believed it for a few minutes for a few seconds there. my, my thinking was
0: we, we get so few klingon scenes which is surprising because yeah. the first episode we thought it was going to be 50 mm-hmm. percent klingon right but we get so few and one of them was her stating that she had some plan so mm-hmm. i knew this was somehow part of the plan yeah um <clears throat> she's an interrogator that's yep. her sort of role so yep. and her name is laurel so she's there to pledge loyalty, uh, to get herself a cloaking device, right, and execute whatever her plan is. And mm-hmm. one way to do this is because she's being forced to do something more than everyone else. All right. the other houses only had to pledge loyalty. She right. has to go above and beyond because it seems that she's not fully trusted given the past. Mm-hmm. So she is an interrogator, so she's going to interrogate the Admiral because right. they the, they've had no luck getting any useful information from the Admiral.
1: Right. Yeah, like I said, I mean, I thought... I, I did think for a few moments there that Terrell was actually going... Actually was serious about seeking an asylum. I just thought, like, you know, the show, may, the, the show may surprise me. Oh, seeking... Oh, to defect. To defect, yes. Well, I agree with you. Defect, yeah. <clears throat> Not an asylum defect, but well, same thing. Right, so she goes into to... to um... interrogate her. Interrogate, yes. That's the
0: word I'm trying to dig for. Uh-huh. She's going in there to interrogate her. Right. And I, I at first I didn't know what was scream for me. It was a great scene. Yeah, I'm like, what's going on Because I just thought it was yeah. like a psych out or, a, a, you know, trying yeah, to... she's just going to fake him A up. power play. Right. With the Admiral, though, to be like, I'm powerful. Right. I'm going to make you scream. But really it was a ruse to get the guards to go, That's okay, nice. she's torturing. Let's get out of here, which right. was fantastic. Yeah. And then she asks about what happens to um, Warwick prisoners in the federation they mm-hmm. don't get killed so then she says i want to defect um i thought that was great it was, i was really looking for this escape it was going to be fantastic but of this, course yeah. they're found yeah in the hall and very quickly and seamlessly both of them actually slip right into the role of whoa we better start fighting or else right, right. it was actually the admiral who grabbed her bat left to start it off which right was great
1: i mean there's something about Terrell that's very uh, like very um interesting very compelling Um, I don't know if I fully buy, you know, that she, uh, wants to really fight. I think that she, this is why I thought that she wanted to defect, you know, I I really got the sense that she's really not in this for the whole, you know, defeat the Federation, defend the house. I think she really wants to, I think she wants something more than that.
0: Well, here's the, my, if we're going to bring one of the theories back around. So let's say... That Tyler is a Klingon. Mm-hmm. And if no, it's the Klingon we think it is, the only person that would know that he's there is or Excuse me, Laurel. Not Laurel. So, think, what does she request of the Admiral? You will take me to your ship. You will take me to Discovery. Your ship, Discovery. I know that you left Discovery. So she is only concerned about going to Discovery. Right. She, she doesn't to, s- to any Federation Right. Ships. She Why doesn't say, one? you'll bring me to a Federation ship. She says, right. bring me to Discovery.
1: Well, don't forget. I mean, Discovery is special. The Klingons know about it, so. Right. You know. It could mean anything, but just the fact that Tyler is on board and we think that maybe he's a Klingon and the two of them have that special relationship. But does she know that Tyler's on board is the thing? If it is the Klingon. Well, she had the captain of Discovery, so you have to, maybe she can assume, but Yes. I think At that she,
0: she would, I think if, if that's him, she's yeah. part of the plan. If mm. he really is the albino Klingon, then this is the plan that they have concocted. That he right. become, he get into the crew and she somehow get to that ship and then they do something there. I don't know
1: why. Well, let me, let, me, let me say this. Let me Let's divulge for just like, for like 10 seconds. So if Tyler is a Klingon. Okay. Right. Big if. Big if. What do you think the ultimate sort of goal is in that sense? Just to kind of get information on Discovery and then bring it back? I'm or, not sure. Like, what is? what do you think is gained by this?
0: Well, so a couple things. We know that he and Laurel mm-hmm. hate this new Klingon leader. Right. Who, who as he says himself... He wants to, he does not want to unite the Klingons. He wants to dominate and rule them. Mm -hmm. That's what he wants to do. So we know that they hate him. Now, here's a question Do they hate him enough to join with the Federation to take him down? Is that maybe their plan? Or maybe what's going to happen? Or was their plan to steal the Discovery and use that in some way? Against him, or steal the discovery, get the spore drive tech, come back and say we have this. If you want to do it, like you, we're
1: going to take back over or something. Right. I don't know. I think I mean, there's a couple options. I, there's a couple options. I, I'm right now. I kind of I, I lean toward. I think I said this a few a few weeks ago. At the moment, I lean toward him being a sort of uh, what do they call sleeper agent.
0: So he you just know? hangs out on the crew, kind of hangs waits out and
1: waits and kind of waits for orders. I mean, again, you know, back in the day the klingons were stand-ins for the soviet union mm-hmm. right and when you had that whole kind of cold war paranoia going on you had you know potential russian spies in the us and vice versa mm-hmm. so i want so even though you know maybe the analogy doesn't work as well today but i do wonder if that could potentially still be the case you know could okay. he just be a klingon spy cuz don't forget we Again, as I mentioned before, we that's happened in Trouble with Tribbles. And that Tribble identified Darvin as a Klingon. Right. Okay, so, so now we're going to start making... We've talked the, about this before, but... Right. Yeah.
0: So now I think it's a good time to start making the connections between the different parts of the episode. There was a moment when they were all on the away team, on Pavo. Right. And Saru has already made his contact with the Pavins. Right. And he has this um, crystal orb, red glowing thing. Not really an orb. Right. And he invites Tyler to, to touch it. Mm. Um, to be re- have things be revealed or have the Povins learn about him. Right. But there's this look of alarm on Saru's face quickly. Mm. And I think that, and all it was was that Saru realized that Tyler was just distracting him so that Burnham could get to the crystalline structure. Right. I think, though, Tyler had a moment of panic. Holy crap, you just figured out my secret. That's what the impression maybe. that I got. Cause he seemed much more panicked about it. So potentially, whatever's going on, there is a way that... What if the out. people
1: who hunt Saru are Klingons? Um. Or maybe, I don't know. That's just, you know.
0: Yeah, I don't know. that I feel like we
1: would have right. known that already, but still. Yeah, that probably. Like, I feel sense. like Saru would have said something.
0: <laughs> yeah, and I think he like, has enough reason to not like Klingons. But just keep them in being. mind,
1: you know, we when that happened, we didn't see his threat ganglia at all. That's true. So that's odd.
0: Well, maybe he was so at peace at that point and felt so protected, as threat ganglia were maybe
1: vestigial threat know. ganglia because they they. It's difficult when is it's hard to kind of anticipate that when his threat ganglia come up because it feels like they. We've seen them come out before, but like it never really feels like it's like. I know I'm getting a little off topic here, but like even in Battle of the Binary Stars, when those Klingon ships were were arriving, there was a look of panic on Sarek's face, but we didn't see any threat ganglia. So I'm like, when, I'm like, True. when th- when does this actually you know come I th- out? I, I get... think
0: the only time the threat ganglia are out or I have a feeling we're gonna get a close up and an announcement each time it's important, right? Because right. I don't think the show is just going to have them pop out and we're supposed to notice. Maybe That's, that would be yeah. nice, though.
1: They've just been so prominent before that. <clears throat>
0: yeah, it know. would be kind of interesting if we could be watching a scene play out mm-hmm. that seems completely ordinary, and then suddenly we see them slide out, and then we know, holy crap, something's going down.
1: But you so. But back to the original thing. So you think that he may have discovered the secret that Tyler? Well, could no, be I running. think
0: that Tyler was worried that he had. Tyler was worried.
1: <clears throat> that seemed like a possibility. Potentially, to me. yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, potentially. I have to go, but I want. I kind of want to go see that again. Yeah,
0: it was yeah. interesting. That's what I thought in that moment too. Oh no, he just found out he's a Klingon.
1: Yeah, but you know
0: we're very tied to that. Right, I'm tied to that theory anyway.
1: So on the uh, the Povins, as as they're called. Yes, the Povins, the Povins, the mist. Uh, I love these aliens because, again, you know the the attention to detail. This is not like previous shows where it's just, you know, a bunch of actors with rubber heads on. Like, this is actually... They actually made an effort... They they are a non-corporeal alien species. Yeah, it's great. Which I love, and I think it really speaks to the show doing a much better job at, you know, showing real type of aliens, if that makes any sense, and not just just humanoid aliens, because it Mm -hmm. just seemed like everything before that, they were just humanoids
0: Yeah, I mean, there were definitely times that they've encountered these type of...
1: But... Very much in line with, like, the original series. Because the original series had a lot of aliens like that. Right, there was the copper alien. There was the copper alien. And, like, you know, everything. A lot of aliens were mists. I mean, I know the other shows had them, too. But for the most Mm -hmm. part, you know, they were corporeal, humanoid aliens. So, I love the fact that, um, you know, we've seen, excuse me, we've seen, like, a a new species of alien that just doesn't conform to what, to the design of the other ones that we've seen in the past.
0: Right. And also an interesting aspect of them is the fact that, they are indis- indistinguishable from the planet that they right. inhabit. They yeah, are, they are one because mm-hmm. there is that kind of uh, theory that you know each planet, or the, even the, the Earth, yeah, it is a cycle of life that right. all interacts with each other, and there's no um, there are distinctions, but it's all a system. Right. So I think making that more
1: literal, they is make an all that noise. Go. Like it sounds like music, right? As uh, As Burnham said, you know what else? You know what it somewhat reminded me of um is uh do you remember that episode of enterprise first season it's actually another latin name i'm gonna mispronounce it it's called vox vox sola vox sola the voice of the sun something i think it's like lone voice or i believe that's what it oh okay it's yeah in voice soul meaning lone, it's one It's definitely yeah yeah do you remember this it was like that it was that weird alien that came aboard it was and you know again like like this it was not like a humanoid type of deal it was like a webbed kind of a thing and it it and it kind of like captured Archer and Trip and had it like wrapped up. It was like in the cargo bay. And then it turns out that it was when they finally figure out where it came from, Hoshi learns how to communicate with it and they bring it back to its home planet. And the whole planet, cons- it's like, it's this gigantic creature that just t- lives on the entire planet. Oh, wow. No, I don't yeah. recall that one. So, so I was like, oh, that kind of reminds me of... This, so Yeah, this yeah. is
0: and the thing that makes it interesting is that because of that, they were not able to detect that there were any life forms on this planet, which is why they felt totally safe to just right. beam down there. Um I also greatly appreciated this little exhibition bit. Mm. I love exposition writing, yeah. where they talked about uh, order one mm. and yep. they said they're way past order one. Yep. Which is like the, the prime directive. Order one, yeah. What becomes the prime directive, and they're now onto the first contact protocol. Correct. And there we get an interesting case, again, of Burnham being the voice of um, Starfleet regulation and the voice of reason. Yep. In these situations where she says, no, there's something. There's a way that we have to do this. We need to get their consent to use their technology. They need mm. to know exactly what we need it for and we can't just take it. And you have, of course, Saru is totally, um, you know, dr-
1: drank the Kool-Aid, so to speak. But then it also came down to this, like, you know, a minor sort of, I think, ethical a question of ethics. It's like, you know, do we use this technology for our own gain against our enemy? You know, because these, these aliens are kind of, you could say, are neutral in this whole conflict. But they're going to be using their technology to kind of better, you know, better their cause. And they, they're telling, and they're basically telling the Povins that, you know, we're fighting against, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a, we're fighting against an enemy, basically. And I'm thinking to myself, like, well, to the Povins, it's like, I don't know either one of you, so.
0: Right. And I'm yeah. sure that, they got the one-sided that well, Klingons clearly are very evil, and that's why we are fighting.
1: Right, exactly. So, you know, I kind of I kind of read into that a little bit. There was no like there was no argument about it, but I just kind of looked at it, thought,
0: hmm. <laughs> well, there was somewhat kind of an argument in that.
1: Yeah. As much as Saru was over was taken over by them,
0: or seemed like his mind was warped, it wasn't completely because even when he came out of it, uh, back in sickbay, he said. Um, When Burnham said, you're not yourself, he said, no, but I was, I am, because of what was going on. And he makes the case that if the Klingons find out that we use the technology from this planet, this planet will become a target, and we can't do that to them. Right. I thought it seemed a little far-fetched that that actually would happen. If they take their technology and make it into a sonar, Mm -hmm. I just don't know that the Klingons would have this forensic science team on the ship.
1: Where did they get this sonar technology? Well... Interesting parallel too, because the Klingons have this, as they call it, not cloaking technology, as it were. But, but now it's like, well, you have to look at it from that point of view too. Discovery is a special ship that and has possesses a technology that the Klingons don't have. The Klingons have this technology that Starfleet's like, oh, what is this? We got to try to figure this out. So you kind of have you kind of have similar things going on on both sides. Yeah,
0: you have um, a, you know, a buildup of certain types of weaponry on each side. Right. Now, one way that this doesn't work out well for uh, Starfleet is that Starfleet it only has one ship with it still. True. Whereas the Klingons have given every ship this right. technology.
1: Well, yeah, exactly. It's only Discovery and they wanted to kind of get it into any, every other Federation starship they could. But, they haven't, but we haven't seen that anything move on that effort. But both technologies, despite the fact that it's much more widespread on the Klingon side could give each one of them the advantage in the war. I mean, Discovery can be anywhere at any moment. Right. But Klingons could just sneak across, you know... Right.
0: If all sh- if all, the, if all the, the Federation ships had the Spore Drive, and all the Klingon ships had um, the, the Cloak, hmm. yeah, it would be a very interesting
1: battle of yeah. everyone kind you of... You could almost kind of, quote-unquote, end it in a stalemate. But, like, <clears throat> you know, every... I mean it sounds a little bit far fetched, but you know, you could cloak every single Klingon ship in the fleet. And you, and and you your can spore drive. drive and your spore every drive and discovery your, ship. Right, but your spore drive may not matter because if you don't know where the Klingon ships are, right. you can't see them, you know what I mean? Unless you have that unless you But as soon cloak. as they
0: shoot you hit you once, you could always just spore drive
1: away. True. And it Very would be true. an endless stalemate, as yes. he said. Yeah. So maybe we maybe we <laughs> just figured out the end of this Klingon War. They signed a... Uh, it'll be
0: a, a demilitarized zone, like North Korea and
1: South yeah. Korea. Uh, the Klingon neutral zone. Yeah, that's actually very true. That is what it becomes mm, at some point. So, Tyler and Burnham. How do you feel about that? I'm... It came a lot sooner than I thought it would, but I'm okay with it.
0: As I said last week, I don't, I don't love it, and I don't think it's because of anything to do with The particulars Mm. of them as characters. I just don't think it's being written that well. Maybe. What do you
1: think? Does it feel forced? It feels forced somewhat to me. Don't forget, Ted Sullivan listens to our show. Be careful what you say. Maybe he doesn't write those things. (laughs) Um, I don't know. I definitely... You know what? The thing is, I sense a chemistry between those two. And I like it. You know, I like the chemistry between them. Mm -hmm. You know? Um, I think they work well together. I could I mean it's it probably won't happen but I could I can envision her being a captain and him being her first officer. Well, I could envision the that Starfleet allow fraternization. Well, I mean, I'm just saying like you know relationship wise you know I think they work well together but yeah. Because here they are on a very important away <laughs> mission. Right.
0: And they're making out in the mist tent. I don't know if that's uh you know, becoming of a Starfleet officer. Yeah, but look at Kirk. Fair point. That's just a, f- a few years from now. Yeah. Well, they're setting the precedent that Kirk will <laughs> exploit later on.
1: Maybe, maybe uh, Kirk serves. Kirk eventually serves with uh, Tyler, and <laughs> that's where, you so learned that's learned that's where he learned everything he knows. That's where you know, he learned everything from. Because um, or for Burnham, like, from Burnham. From Burnham, more like. Well, I think right because I think right now Tyler is of higher rank than where Kirk is. So Kirk is not a captain yet. Right. Um, um, yeah, so it's yeah. Yeah, they're okay, in the
0: tent, which also, why, I wonder what, my first thought when I saw the tent was, there must be some humanoids around, because this is from? clearly a tent built for humanoids right. with a fire pit. Where did it come
1: from, basically?
0: Right. Uh, but, that's fine, i was willing to look don't, past uh, it.
1: Don't, don't be, stop being a fan.
0: <laughs> you know, it was just a, I, I noticed, it's a fun thing I noticed, why yeah, did they yeah. build a tent with a fire pit? Hmm. But it's fine. In the tent, we have these conversations between Burnham and Tyler. And this is very odd because we've got Michael telling Tyler that once this war's over, I'm back to prison. And Tyler saying, then we'll make sure the war doesn't end. And we'll keep fighting so we can stay together. Now, here's one of the things that I find. A Klingon would say that. They do love to fight. Mm-hmm. Okay, that makes sense actually. Because my thought was, I haven't seen the div- building of this connection between them to cause anyone to say anything like that.
1: Yeah, unless neither have I. Guess revive, you know, but well, I mean, it's implied. I mean, yeah, that's exactly what would happen to her when that war ends because she's on that ship sp- specifically for that reason. Right. So I'm. So here's the thing. You know, they say behind the scenes that this war is going to continue at least through the first season and season two is going to be something else. So obviously something has to happen that brings her back next season. Unless it just follows her through prison, for crying out loud. That would be very interesting. But it would be, you know, on Discovery? like, yeah, Because it has a namesake. But um, I don't know. I feel like him saying that almost does reinforce the idea that he could be a Klingon. Or, or at the very least that he has some
0: ulterior motives that we don't know. Hmm. So then they also have the conversation with the great quotes, uh, the needs of the many, oh, wait. Tyler it's says, fear. are worth fighting and dying for. Mm-hmm. As are the needs of the few or the one. <laughs>
1: Which is an old Vulcan proverb. Yeah, it's yes. a nice one. I um, use that a lot. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a nice little nod to the Wrath of Khan, but uh, sometimes I feel like when past Trek shows have used that line, it felt very forced. And you're saying it didn't feel forced here? Um not really. Okay. Not really. No, I mean, I just took the context behind it. I think it made sense. Okay. Yeah. Why, do you feel like it thought for I did. Like, hey, Wrath of Khan, people will love this. No, I think it's a good, Klingon on quote. It makes sense to
0: use it. I just thought in the in their courtship conversation, it's uh-huh.
1: odd. Would you roll your eyes when you saw it?
0: A little bit, but I'm rolling my eyes at this relationship a lot, so for some reason, it's just not landing for me. Okay, fine. Um, so, here's another thing. Okay. <clears> okay. <throat> That was strange. Uh, They come up with their plan that Mm -hmm. we talked about before, how Tyler was supposed to distract Saru. Right. While Michael went to the crystalline structure to broadcast or whatever she was supposed to do. I didn't Mm -hmm. fully get it. Yeah. So uh, that's going down. Saru notices and he runs and we get to see his... um, glorious running yep. because he has back knees. Yes, he does. You were aware that's in hooves, yes. right? Because he is a, like a, like an antelope or something. Yes, he had leg action going on there. He had leg action. So you see him... I love the scene where you see the cliff up behind right. Burnham and you just see him you scampering see him kind of by. Of scampering by, yeah. <laughs> like thought a, that was really cool. Like a mountain goat. Um, uh, also, he lands a really nice donkey kick on uh-huh. Burnham and sends her flying. Yeah. So he's totally in his mind that he has to stop this because it's wrong, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The strange thing is, Tyler suddenly transports in by the mist. Yes,
1: yes, by the mist. Yeah, that was really strange because it wasn't really established prior to that 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 was something that they could do.
0: Right, now, but think about the mist. We've met another blue glowing mist. Okay. The Spore Drive creatures are also a blue glowing mist, which was interesting. To me, maybe a connection. I don't know. Are you saying maybe those could be the same thing? I don't. I think if they were the same, they would know. But perhaps they share something. But I'm, I don't know. I'm That's moving interesting to an even bigger point. Do you see here. any mushrooms on that planet? Well, a mycelial web is yeah. beneath the dirt. I actually just watched a documentary on mushrooms. It's fantastic! It's on Netflix. Everyone should check it out. What's it called? I don't know. Okay. Well.
1: <laughs> that's <helps. laughs> It's probably the only mushroom the documentary only mushroom, on Netflix. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mushrooms also make you grow as Mario can attest. Anyway.
0: So, um. here's the thing. He beams in or spores in or mists in. Mm-hmm. And then that's when things change with the crystalline antenna. Right. And what we think is The crystalline antenna helping uh, to do what Starfleet wants or what their mission was about. Right. We get back up to the ship and we find out that actually they're hailing the Klingons. Right. So we have two things happen. I don't think Tyler could have transported there unless he made some connection and communication with the mist. Right. And once he does that, they
1: start hailing the Klingons. I mean, there could be something there, but at the same time, the immediacy of the story, I think, just needed him to get there. True, you know, but they do happen at the same time. They do, which makes me think: if he
0: is a secret Klingon, yeah, there he is, telling them to communicate with the Klingons, perhaps. Now that's the side theory. Now, what we come to really the main kind of thing that seems to be going on is that they are trying to make peace is that what you got from it they say okay these they, they want to end conflict so here's conflict
1: let's bring them both here and we the mist will cure the conflict well yeah I mean it's a very kind of classic Star Trek thing where it's like you know a, like a, a by all accounts or not by all accounts but like by all beliefs a higher intelligence is trying to put an end to something right you know but well, like, how have... many times did you watch the original series where there was always some like higher power like Kirk and the Gorn and stuff like that. I mean, it's this high. It's just higher intelligence, right? That just exists beyond you know, you know, corporeal. Um, what am I? The word I'm looking for, like corporeal. I don't know. Uh, consciousness, consciousness. Thank you. Uh,
0: so true. I feel that this particular higher being, I put higher in quotes. Yeah. I don't believe that they have the teeth to make this happen, as we've seen other ones that have this power. Right. I sort of feel that all that's going to happen is the battle's going to break out, and maybe even their planet will get bombed. Well, because in
1: the past, it was always something like the this whatever this higher intelligence is, it had the power to kind of destroy both sides. Exactly. Right. And yes. sort of said, or take away their weapons, or take or away something. their weapons, or something like that. We we never got any sort of sense of that with this. That no. That, you know. Um, but I'm not. I'm not closing the door on that.
0: Right. My first thought, too, my first thought was that, oh, they've called the Klingons here, and this planet has some way to just destroy their ship, and that's what they're going to do.
1: Right. But then I guess that seems strange, that would be conflict. But it's a good point with Tyler and, you know, potentially being a Klingon and then luring them there. Yes. Yeah. That could be very interesting. And given that next week is the fall finale. Yes, and there is a battle, and there is a battle. going down. Um, and the ship that's
0: coming is the ship of the dead yeah the coffin ship yeah which is where the leader yeah is and where the dead or not dead admiral is Mm. and where laurel is wow yeah so it's all coming together like all the threads are coming together in a way right now i guess
1: that's something important and that ship has a cloaking device it does, yes. They've equipped that with the clothing. So that but, ship and Discovery... Right. Maybe you could argue the two most important ships on either side are now coming... Definitely. Head to head. Definitely. Yeah. Um, do you believe that the Admiral is dead? No. Okay. No. I do not. Interesting. Why you do? I wanted to believe that she was not dead. I again. feel like she's been too, too... I feel like she's. she's too vital right now to be dead. Okay. Because I think that she's also... Because don't forget, she's also the one that stands in between Lorca and losing his command. And I feel like her presence has become so important on the show over the past couple of weeks. I can't imagine her being killed off like that. Right. Well, she doesn't stand between it. She is
0: the catalyst to make him lose his command.
1: Right. And I think... I, I just feel like narratively... The way a story, the way a story like this could work out is, I think that I feel like if she does die, it's gonna. I feel like it's gonna be a position, like it's gonna be in Lorca's position to let it happen because he does not want to lose his command. Just like we saw when just like, he let her become a exactly. Prisoner. So that's I feel true. like that's the situation. That's the situation I am envisioning. Yes, I don't imagine <clears throat> that she is dead right now. Okay, and we've just... certainly been set up that she is dead. Yeah,
0: and not only have we been set up. But the Klingon leader has been set up, and he seems convinced. Mm. That's what got me. Because he's already suspicious of Lorel. Right. So if if holding someone against the hallway wall
1: doesn't kill them, he probably would have investigated. Right. Um, I feel like for the Klingons, there's too much to be gained with her alive still. Like, they, they're in a position to, to get something. Right, but the leader
0: thinks that she's dead. And he didn't even check to see if she was dead. Mm. Which is odd because she's the most... I guess I'm sort of pointing to some... Not plot holes, but like writing holes or something. Yeah, maybe. She's (laughs) the most... They say she's the most valuable hostage we could possibly have. Yeah, so why would you kill her? And then... Well, right. But it's Laurel... She, remember, Laurel faked the whole escape right. when they were getting caught, mm-hmm. and then Laurel kills her, or at least apparently kills her. Right. And then the leader of the Klingons is right there and sees it and goes, oh boy, you killed our most valuable hostage. Oh well. Get rid of the body, see ya. and
1: walks away. It didn't make sense. I don't know. I mean, I am I hear what you're saying, but I just, I have, I... I Aside from what I used as evidence i just i I really don't think that she's dead yet. I no, don't. I don't either, no. but I think the behavior of the leading Klingon
0: was incredibly weird, given the situation. He would have at least walked if unless that thing was guaranteed to kill you the thing she pushed her into, yeah he would have at least checked I feel you she's just
1: so important i think I think I mean I've never seen a Klingon check the vital signs in the past. I just feel like they would have assumed okay, yeah, yeah okay, yeah, that makes sense, yeah. Klingons Maybe. are just by nature violent aliens. So I just feel like. Yeah. I, I don't think she's dead. I just, I don't, I don't, she's I don't think she's dead either. Yeah. But
0: I definitely think we've been led to believe, and I think that the leader of the Klingons was very convinced that she's dead.
1: She, I mean, didn't really care. I know we're spending a lot of time on this, but, you know. Yeah. I feel like. I mean, I definitely think she's expendable. But that is. Expendable I... to the show or expendable to the Klingons? Just as a character, I feel like I I definitely feel like she, even if she's not dead yet, I think she will be eventually.
0: Right. I don't think she's expendable right now because she's the one yeah. who's going to take away Lorca's command. Right. So I think that plot piece has to pay off.
1: Right. Exactly. Um. Yeah. I'm waiting for I'm waiting for that kind of resolution. Right now. Yeah. There's that's a, fair. Because she she opened up that threat. Yeah. She started that threat to say we're going fi- to we have to figure out. How you're going to step down. Yeah. I just feel like, again, narratively, she wouldn't have said that if it didn't mean something later on. down the Right. But what
0: I, I guess, again, to
1: point out, what I don't like is that
0: in considering what's going on with the character, we have to think, well,
1: what about her arc and what makes the most sense for the story? Okay. So we're back on Discovery and um, they open communication with Discovery, despite the fact that Saru did not want them to. And we find out, Lorca finds out, that there is a Klingon ship on the way, as we were just discussing a few minutes ago. Um, and it turns out that the Povins communi- uh, communicated to the Klingons and brought them there. And, but Lorca thinks that Burnham did it. Right. Which is and interesting. And she said, no, they did it because they want to try to end this conflict. Right. Yeah. And we assume by making peace, maybe. Making peace, Yeah. Or destroying everyone could be the other thing. But we were discussing a little while ago that potentially Tyler could have done it.
0: Potentially Tyler could have done it because he's unaccounted for and he clearly is communicating with them. So it's something to put a pin in, see what happens next week. See what happens next week. And And I think we're going to see a lot pay off because, like I said, all these plot lines are coming together in the battle of Pavo.
1: Let me tell you what I'm looking forward to most next week. Now, do you watch the after show after truck?
0: I don't. I okay. don't. I want to stay. I want to keep my thoughts pure and untarnished. This by is others. the
1: only reason I bring this up. So after after the show ended on Sunday, Ted Sullivan was one of the guests on the show. Okay, and you know next week is the fall finale. Mm-hmm. So we were given. You know they're discussing next week's episode, and one thing he said, he said, "I'm really jealous of the two people that wrote this." He said this in my opinion, is like, this is going to be like Discovery's Balance of Terror. Interesting. Yeah. And do you remember what Balance of, balance of Terror is? The, is the uh, first encounter with the Romulans. Right. The submarine fight between the Enterprise and the Romulan ship. Oh, yeah. So that, that gets me really excited. Right. That gets me really, really excited to see what's going to happen next week. And I'm wondering, you know, how many things are going to be revealed Right. Know, anything, uh, not everything, because
0: this yeah. is the mid-season right. finale. But too many of these plots, like I said, are coming together. And um, I can't put them, some of it's got to gotta come, come uh, make some revelations. Right. I think well, the thing I look forward to is we're going to see some more ship-to-ship battle. Yep. Which I really enjoyed this week, so that's going to be great. I'm surprised yeah. to see that we, we burn them on the Klingon ship again. Right. For a um, round two, mm-hmm. so to speak, even mm-hmm. though it's not really the same person, but she's grabbing the bat'leth and she's saying um, yep. she wants to fight. Yep, back on that ship, same ship, yes. ship. Interesting. Yeah, because I I don't believe she has the strength of a Klingon. I don't know why that would be. No, I mean they have maybe some real she, serious weight maybe training. Maybe she feels like she movement. has.
1: Maybe she feels like she has another. She has a shot at like you know doing this right. Even if she dies. Even if she dies. Right, because right. yeah. it seems like she would definitely sacrifice herself. So, final thoughts on this episode I did I did personally did not find it as strong as last week's. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I shouldn't compare, but um, my usual one to ten, I'm gonna give it an eight. Y- y- okay, yeah, I'm gonna give it an eight. Yeah, I find um, it a little bit less than last time too because to me, just just for now, only because this is clearly building to something. This is not a self-contained. Uh, episode like say last week was mm-hmm. so this is clearly not resolved yet and we'll have to see what happens next week you know but it's obvious to me this is building to something bigger that's going to happen next sunday on the fall finale which by the way i can't believe we're already there okay, okay. fall finale this is this is
0: yeah man i know stuff um so it's an eight for me also i give an eight five last week um this one's an eight mm-hmm. now i feel it's interesting because there sort of was a standalone episode uh woven into this a little bit. Of the away mission and all that. It just it yes. links up with the next episode and it sets everything
1: the, the, in motion. The mycelia web of plots is continuing. So <laughs> It's very true. Yeah.
0: <clears throat> I liked it a lot. I liked seeing an away team. Um, I like seeing... Uh, I guess I'll call it Evil Saru. It was really fun. Yeah. From his donkey kicks to crushing their uh, communicators. Um,
1: I really right. like Evil Saru. Yeah. Well, we got some... You know, and on that sense, we got some definite development for Saru. he's kind of, in the last, like, two episodes, he's kind of taken a backseat.
0: That's true. That's true. So, and we got like, to,
1: here, we've got some Saru development, which is good. And
0: the, the very interesting thing is that he said, I was not out of my mind. It's just my people, my species, is constantly aware of threats so much that it's hell to be that hyper-aware. And yeah. for them to take that away from me was the first piece that I felt. So, hmm. in a way, he was defending that feeling right which is why he was acting the way he was yeah plus probably the influence of the mist absolutely so that was that was good yeah good to see another side of him Mm -hmm. um yeah but i i really like this one i would like to see hopefully more away missions in the Mm -hmm. second part of the season
1: and yeah eight five for me so great. That'll bring uh, this episode to a close this week. Um, we want to hear from all of you guys, so please email us at trust at gmail.com and or tweet us at disco podcast. We, again, love to hear from you. You know, Let us know what your thoughts are. If you want to suggest any ideas for future episodes or future topics, uh, please let us know. Absolutely. And
0: one thing that we'll be doing during the off-season, and we would love ideas for this too, is... Recording some podcasts of other Trek episodes that tie into Discovery. So if anyone wants to suggest those, we've certainly talked about a lot of them on the podcast. Uh, but we'd like to hear what you think about it. Um, or any other topics for us to discuss. Also, ratings are huge for us. Please, if you enjoy the show, give us a rating. Give us a review. They will help us to be heard by more people. Uh, leave those on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcast. They are... Very, very helpful. It's just a nice
1: ego boost for us, really.
0: Okay. That's not not true. (laughs) No, I'm joking. It's not not (laughs) true, but, you know, we would
1: like to have more people hear the show. Yes, absolutely. New episodes of this podcast every Tuesday, so definitely check back every single week. And again, we'd love to hear what you want us to do for uh, Discovery during the off-season. So, otherwise we won't do shit. It's not true. We will do shit. (laughs)
0: Until next time.